The following is recorded from Marine Creek Church, taken from the series Ecclesiastes, Finding Meaning in Life. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning. Welcome to the creek. If you've got your Bible, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. If you don't own a Bible or have a Bible with you, you're welcome to the one that's under the end of the aisle. And, and uh, just wave at the person or wink at them. They'll probably send it quicker. They'll probably think, hey, they'll put their phone number in the front cover or something. Um, probably not, but, you know, guys like to think that sometimes. But uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes for the last several weeks. And uh, we're on track to finish the book in two weeks. Just so you know kind of what's coming we are going to finish the book uh, in, within two weeks on September 23rd. We're going to do a core value series and uh, kind of give just kind of a state of the ministry, kind of where we are as a church. In September 30th, we are going to be doing a, a baptism service and kicking off a new series called Foundations. So a lot of stuff coming in the fall. It's going to be a busy time. It's going to be a good time. I know a lot of y'all just need this weekend to relax because school started this week. And uh, the whole tension and stress in the house is high. But I'm just to be honest with you, I love getting back into that routine. It just, it just feels nice. It feels like I'm in my groove again. I don't like to be out of that groove, if you know what I mean. And so um, we're going to get in the groove. There's a lot of big stuff happening in the future of the church, life of the church that I'm excited about. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we're going to clip along here because I want to get through the whole chapter and get you out in time for us to go enjoy major amounts of barbecue this afternoon, which I'm really looking forward to. I dreamt about barbecue last night, by the way. Just saying. Just saying. Here we go. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Solomon's going to uh, recap some things that have been going on. We've been going through this. If you've missed the previous messages, you can get those online. Uh, we even have the note sheets on our website if you open the resources link and it comes up with this really nifty media player, um, and then the, the resource pages on there, you can get the note sheets. They're already filled in, right? So all you got to do is listen along and, and uh, be blessed and happy. So Solomon's going to recap some things. Nothing majorly theological earth-shattering in this chapter. He's really just going to say, here's what I've been saying all along, and now I'm going to go back and say, this is what I've been saying all along. You ever have those friends? You know, That's what I've been telling you, man. And so there's pretty simple ideas in this chapter, but we're going to realize how difficult they are to live out. Solomon says, so I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. What Solomon is saying is that you and I, when we put our life in Christ's hands, in God's hands, that, that everything is filtered by God. That's a comforting yet scary thing when you think about it. it it's comforting to know that everything I face, God has approved. Like God's like, yeah, he can handle that. The scary thing is that God has approved everything he thinks I can handle. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes I think, God, I think, you, I think you sent this to the wrong mat. You know, you ever get mail at the wrong house? I think God did, does that to me sometimes. He's sovereign, he doesn't, but I'm just like, man, God, this is hard. And, and Solomon says, whether love or hate, the interesting thing to point out in that is too many times we try to sell Jesus that, hey, if you put your faith in him, life's good, man. 
If you, if you put your faith in God, life is going to go the way it should or the way you want it to. Um, the main problem I have with that is the scripture because John the Baptist was the kind of the forerunner for Jesus and uh, he got his head cut off for doing what God commanded him and God asked him to do. So not always does it go your way, all right? You know, you read through, there's countless men and women who through following God found themselves in a situation that was probably not the most ideal for following Jesus. Here's what we have to understand about the truth of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, isn't if you're good or good enough, he blesses you. The gospel message and the good news of Jesus is that he is good no matter what the circumstances. He is always enough. And when we start living that truth of the gospel, it sets a different frame and keeps us from being disappointed and honestly bratty Christians when we don't get our way. Well, God, you didn't do things my way. It's like I don't play by your rules. And that keeps us from, from really growing, I think. And then he goes on. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad. I tend to like to read the ugly, but it just says the good and the bad. And the clean and the unclean. This is stupid joke week, by the way, for Matt. I've just had some really just, they've bombed. Some of y'all have laughed out of courtesy, but there's some stupid jokes that I've, if you've seen my Facebook, Heather was disappointed with me this week. We'll just leave it at that. Um, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good man, so it is with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so it is with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. Solomon is like, this is the evil that, that gets me in the world. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men moreover, are full of evil and there's madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. What he's saying is, man, we, we all, regardless of where we put our faith, regardless of how we live life, by, by what set of moral standards, or if we have none at all, we all face death. Death is coming for us. We're one step closer. And so you're like, thanks a lot, Solomon. This is why you don't want to have dinner with Solomon. Because everything could be going good and like, oh, there you go, just bringing it down, bring it down. Who invited him? You know, the texts are going on underneath the table. Who invited Solomon? You know, and you get that feeling in your, in, kind of in your neck, really, where you're like, please don't say anything. You've had those moments, right? If, please, just, just play nice, just keep your mouth shut, don't say anything. Well, Solomon went there. I, I have this thing where I tend to cross that line too, like Solomon. Heather has a look. I've told you about her comment to me. She just says, Matt, line. And that's all she has to say. And I know I've crossed the line, right? <laughs> she can even give the look. I can't replicate the look because I can't get my eyes to do that. But um, that's a woman thing. But um, I can sense the look. She's not even in this room. And I know I'm probably getting the look. She's somewhere in the vicinity of this building. I know I'm probably getting the look. But there's this look like, Matt, you've crossed the line here, bud. And Solomon does that often. And, and I have the wisdom to come back. But um, he says in verse 4 that there is hope. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. I think that's Solomon's attempt to make us feel better. Like, hey, man, you're still breathing, man. 
a living dog is better than a dead lion, right? You know, so there's still hope. So you're like, man, you're just digging it deeper. I think this is one of those conversations sometimes that Solomon's like, if I could have that one back, you know? But he's saying, look, there's hope. Too many times we think this, that we want to be the majestic lion. He's like, man, a living dog is better than a dead lion. Think about this. You have a chance. You have hope. You have an opportunity here while you are breathing. I mean, James says that our life is a mist. It's a vapor. It goes by so quick. And Solomon, in, the, in his wisdom, is saying, while you are breathing, while you have this opportunity, look, death is coming. Don't be afraid to think of it. Don't be afraid of it. But make sure you live your life what counts? And then he goes on, verse 5 and 6. For the living know that they will die. Thank you. Again, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. What he's saying here is that once we are finished in this world, our investment stops. We don't invest any more love. We can't invest any more hate. There's no return on that love or return on that hate. Solomon's saying when the game's over, the game's over. I know some of you are thinking, yeah, but, but, but we go on, right? We go to heaven, right? We put our faith in Jesus. Yes, Solomon's talking about under the sun, in this world. He's saying, you have hope while you're in this world that there is an opportunity for you to make an investment in something bigger than you, an investment in a life that will outlive you. I think Solomon is pleading with us in this moment going, man, live a life of significance. Pursue significance over comfort. Think about how we're wired. We're wired for comfort. I am. I know I am. I'm built like a Jeep, actually. I'm not built for speed. I'm built for comfort. I can climb. There's, there's storage crevices and all this stuff, you know. I'm utilitarian, all right? We're built for comfort by our nature. Think about all of the things we insulate ourselves with. There is a drama in my house, and, and a, a, it is coming to a head because the volume control on the remote doesn't work right. And it's killing us. Pray for us. I'll call for Abby. Abby, where are you? I'm in my room. What are you doing? Homework. Hey, can you come here? Comes downstairs. What? Hey, there's a button on the side of the TV that says volume. Might just say V-O-L. It's an abbreviation for volume. Can you hit the negative button for me a couple times, please? That's the old school remote, by the way, right? Some of y'all grew up, and some of y'all are like, I know what I'm talking about. The remote in my house growing up was the youngest child, right? Um, you know, your channel, your TV has like four channels, three, five, six, and there's that UHF, VHF. Never understood what that was all about. I just knew the video games work on channel three, right? Um, now there's all this other crazy stuff. But, but we're built for comfort. Think about our comfort. We walk into a restaurant, and we want our drink, our chips, and salsa within the first 60 seconds of us sitting down at that table, and we want to be in and out in 25 minutes. Otherwise, this restaurant's horrible, right? I get frustrated sometimes with that. I, love, I, I tip my servers. Tip your servers. But you know how you get when you want that check, right? 
You're like, come on, there's only six people in the restaurant. Bring the check. <laughs> I'm not talking to just me in this place. We're all in this together. But Solomon's going to start teaching us how to pursue a life of significance. He says the key to this is through a life that's connected. The way you have a significant life is to have a connected life. And what I love about the wisdom of Solomon is he's not just going to take us out and drop us off on the country road. Yeah, he's the downer and he's going to bring it to the real nitty-gritty level. But he's not just going to say, hey, pursue a life of significance. Good luck with that, buddy. You're on your own. Let me know how it works. No, he's going to give us some practical wisdom and advice. And like I said, these aren't going to be just earth-shattering, crazy truths, but I think there's going to be some aha moments in all of this. Verse 7. The first step that Solomon's going to give us is to live a life of significance is we've got to be connected with others in deep relationships. Not just acquaintances, but a connection with other people. We use it in our vernacular at the creek as community. Community is not just a place where people exist. Community is a connection that people enjoy. I mean, tonight we're doing a community dinner. I told you, I'm I'm hungry already, and barbecue is on the brain. But he's saying a deep relationship with other people. And I believe that deep relationship, and you're going to find out here in a minute, that deep relationship starts at the dinner table. Listen to what he says in verse 7. Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. What Solomon is teaching us here is that dinner should be a sacred, holy time. That there should actually be a worship experience involved with dinner. Not worshiping the food, but a worship experience with dinner. Think about this in context of other scripture with communion. I mean, we take communion as a church and we have the juice in the little cup and we have the wafer and we take that and say we took communion. But think about the context of communion. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples sharing the last supper, a meal. And he gives new meaning to elements in that meal. And he tells his disciples, as often as you do this, do what? Eat. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Every time we come around the dinner table should be a moment of reflection and celebration and honor of what Jesus did for us. Every time food passes through our lips or drink passes over our tongue, it should be a reminder of the goodness of God and the grace that we enjoy because of the cross. Dinner is a sacred time. Solomon's saying, get back to the dinner table. Learn to do dinner well. Don't be elbowing any wives in this room about cooking ability when I say that. I take no responsibility for the counseling that would have to ensue afterwards. Heather and I go to some of our favorite restaurants, and one of them we love. And we've gotten to know the owners and most of the staff there really well. And one night we're in there, and we're just talking about how good the food is and um, it's an artsy place, and so the presentation is big on the food. And, and uh, he was asking us about our experience. And I said, you know, for my family, and my daughter was in from Canada. And I said, for my family, this is a worship experience. And he looked at me like, what? And he's like, like, are you freaky that you worship food? I was like, not that we worship food. 
But this is an opportunity for us as a family to slow down, to enjoy each other's company, to enjoy and celebrate the goodness of God that we can come together, we can eat good food and reflect. It's a worship experience. And I said, and I said, thank you for helping that happen tonight. And so he's talking about the service and things, asking about that. And it's like, you know, I was just given my input on the service of the restaurant. I'm a big service guy, you know. And so he goes, are you in the service industry? I go, you could say so. <laughs> he says, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, a pastor? And then he said, well, that makes sense on the worship experience, so you're not a freak. But um, it's funny because he doesn't really understand what I do. Um, I don't think because we walk in and he'll go, hey, there was somebody that you pastor over. Um, I actually said you priest over. I was like, I don't priest over anybody. You know, Watch your mouth. No, um, but it, it's just interesting how this is coming into the, into the conversation that when we talk, he asks about the church. And, and it's just been an interesting connection where the food kind of comes into this worship experience. And we get time around the table to reflect. And we eat in remembrance of Jesus. I think Solomon is saying there's deep connections that happen around the dinner table. And it's important for us. Dinner should be slow and enjoy those times. Let me, let me point out something here in this passage. He says, go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For it is now that God favors what you do. Let me share with you kind of something theologically important in this. This is not an excuse for us to take this out of context and justify a destructive behavior. I, I, I'm just, I get, I, I have to deal with that maturity level sometimes one-on-one, -on -one, but this isn't saying, oh, I can drink. If you have a problem and struggle with alcohol, no. A good meal and good drink for you, it might be a steak and Dr. Pepper. This is also not an indictment for those who do have wine, where it's like, oh, I saw those people from the church, they were drinking wine at the restaurant. <laughs> I thought they were Christians. <laughs> it's not an indictment on them either. For some, that good food and good wine might be a filet and a nice bottle of Chianti with some fava beans. I had to say it. When Heather and I first got married, we couldn't afford the food that we're able to buy now. I got permission to share this. She's not in here anyway. I don't see. All right, she made this thing, ham casserole. Guys, when you get married, some of the best advice I got and wisdom was like, you eat burnt dinners and you ask for seconds. <laughs> but as we ate this ham casserole, I was like, I got to take one for the team of all mankind here. And I just said, honey, I love you very much, but I don't think I could ever eat this again. If I see this never again, that's fine with me. And she's like, why didn't you tell me? Because originally when she made it, I was like, this is good. I'm following the wisdom of a, of a man who'd been married for many years. This is good, baby. And she made it every week. I'm like, ah. Oh. All right? Be honest in your marriage, by the way. 
But if you don't like it, be nice, but be honest. Some of you are on the way home. Honey, don't ever make that again, please. (laughs) I just bought it to make this week. (laughs) I'll just cook it tonight and bring it to the church picnic. How's that? No, that's not all right. (laughs) Don't be envious of what somebody else can eat. Here's what he said. Be joyful in the portion God's given you. Be joyful in the portion that God has given you. And I think this is a beautiful insight into the character of God. So many of us grew up thinking the character of God was this cosmic killjoy that he wants everybody under his thumb. Like he had like a Star Trek laser on his hip that if you were enjoying life too much, he's going to zap you. Like stop laughing, you know, (laughs) pay attention. God wants us to enjoy this. What a beautiful insight in the character of God in that he wants us to gather together around the table and enjoy the time, enjoy the food. Let it be a sacred time. Let it be a time where we rejoice in each other and in God and his gifts that he's put on our tables. I think it's great practice for heaven. And when you think about how much we're going to get to eat in heaven, (laughs) yeah. I'm just rehearsing. That's all it is. By the way, tonight, <coughs> we have a great opportunity for this because we, we're doing an all-church dinner. Um, 130 pounds of meat were cooked yesterday. That was, it was awesome to see. Tonight, you can eat it. But it's not just, hey, let's see how much food we can make and throw it out there. There's intention in this. Because just as our families need to get around the dinner table, our family, the church, needs to get around the dinner table. And we need to rejoice. And we need to spend time with each other. And let that be a sacred moment where we're not in a hurry, where we can truly be together. What a great opportunity for that. You know, by the way, tonight's BYOC, Bring Your Own Chair. I just was going to make that announcement clear. But what an opportunity to share in that. See, that that connection goes deeper than this room. That's how we enjoy the deep connections with other people. And then Solomon goes on, verse 8. He says this, uh, he said, um, always be clothed in white. Now, he's not giving you a, a dress code here. This clothing in white is referred to practical righteous acts. What he's saying is be righteous. Do, do righteous acts. Um, be a blessing to other people. We've got to understand that God blesses us to bless others. I mean, the school supply drive was an incredible image of that, that this building was full of supplies that we were able to bless other people. God doesn't say in your, in your desire for comfort over significance, I'm asking you to step outside of yourself to pursue significance over comfort. And that means don't hoard everything for yourself. Be a blessing to other people. And then he says this, um, goes on, always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, that refers to the Holy Spirit, the oil. And here's, here's the truth of this. We can talk concepts and we can talk things in this room, but honestly, without the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't live a life of significance. 
What, what Solomon's saying here is allow the Holy Spirit to fill you with meaning and significance and purpose and depth so that you're living for something beyond yourself. How this happens is through the cross of Christ. Jesus is God in the flesh, walked on earth. He paid the price for our sins on the cross. He's with his disciples. He said, hey, guys, I'm, 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 I'm leaving. I'm heading out. And he says, but it's good that I go because someone is coming in my place, the counselor. And so as Jesus ascended, the Holy, ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit descended. Read Acts 2, the day of Pentecost. And that is God saying, I am going to dwell in you individually. And so when we put our faith and our hope in Christ and in the cross, what happens is the Holy Spirit then baptizes us into the church, not Marine Creek Church, but the church, the body of Christ. And the Holy Spirit seals us for the day of redemption. And he says, that's the oil on your head. Now let that oil move throughout every fiber of your being to provide that power, to provide that ability to live something more significant than yourself. It's like letting that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit, the still, small voice of God, lead you and guide you, that when we get tempted to say, I'd rather have comfort here, the Holy Spirit's going to go, no. That when we're tempted to, on the way to getting the kids wherever they got to go, to think running through the drive through is dinner, and the Holy Spirit's saying, slow down. Slow down. Spend some time with each other. So let the Holy Spirit fill you with significance. And then he goes on, verse 9. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. Thanks, Solomon. It's like, are you happy that I'm married or not? You know, hey, enjoy your wife while you got this meaningless life. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Here's what's funny. Solomon says, you know, get into deep relationships with people, center that around the dinner table. He doesn't warn us that, hey, to have that kind of meal means you're going to spend some time and it's going to cost you some time prepping that. It's going to cost you some time cleaning dishes. He doesn't say, hey, while you're a blessing to others, there might be times that you're going to go without because I want to use you to bless somebody else. He doesn't say that when you let the Holy Spirit fill you with his power that people might think you're a little weird. But here he says, hey, enjoy marriage, it's work. Good luck with that, buddy. This is your lot in life, it's toil. Here's the thing, for us to have significance and pursue a life of significance, that means we have to work for a deep relationship with our spouse. Intimacy does not come easy. Here's what intimacy requires, and it's, I'm still learning this. It means dying to yourself. Because I can be very selfish sometimes in my marriage and go, well, but she, if she would, why doesn't she? And whenever I pray about that, God really gets honest with me and says, you're selfish, you need to die. You need to die to that. Own your part, Matt. Put in the work required for that intimacy. And let me say this. You can't have 
a deep relationship with your spouse if pornography is an issue in your home. Because that whole idea of fantasy is not reality. I was yelling at the radio this week because there was a story about a sociologist from from one of the universities that said, there's no sociological and societal impacts that are negative that pornography makes. They would have had to, Adam would have had to edit what I was yelling at the radio in that moment. Because this sociologist said that rape is the lowest it's been in 40 years. That domestic violence is the lowest it's been in 40 years. And I, I was yelling, what about the divorce rate? What about the lack of intimacy and the real sexual fulfillment that's going on in marriage? Because when we build our whole sexual appetite and drive around a fantasy that is not reality, disappointment quickly sets in. What about the young men who are caught in the addiction of pornography that can't keep a healthy marriage because the things they expect their wife to do in the bedroom is nowhere near reality? I'm just being honest. If we can't be honest with each other in this room, there's... There's no way we're going to be honest with each other anywhere else. If you need help with that, there is grace. Let us help you with that. Don't play the victim mentality that, well, it's a billion-dollar industry, then they're coming after you. We'll help you with that. We want strong, healthy marriages. You can't have an, a deep, intimate connection with your spouse if if. There's, there's office flirting and, and you're giving your energy and attention to someone else other than your spouse. There's no way to have a deep, intimate connection with your spouse if there's cheating going on, whether that's physically, emotionally, or spiritually. There's no way it can happen. And let me tell you this, the grass is not greener on the other side. It's not. I have counseled men and women who have been through relationship after relationship and marriage after marriage, and their concept is this greener grass mentality. And it seems like they're always jumping the fence. Like they see this lush green field, and they jump the fence, and then all of a sudden it's not, so they jump the next fence. And and here's just what you got to be honest with. If, If your spouse was once a lush green field and is not anymore... Maybe what happened is you. I'm just saying own your part. This is Solomon talking. Own your part. Be willing to fight for your marriage. Be willing to work hard for your marriage and the intimacy. There are a few things in life that are excellent and beautiful that are free. And intimacy is not one of those things. Be willing to work. I will never tell you that marriage is easy, but I will always tell you it's a gift from God. And it's willing, it's worth fighting for and working for because it's a beautiful gift. So Solomon says, be willing to work in your marriage. And if you're not married, take this wisdom. It's work. Okay, single guys, single girls, it's work. It's worth it. Be willing to understand that investment before you go into it. And then Solomon's talking about realizing your significance and meaning in your workplace. Verse 10, 
Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to all of them. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly on them. What he's saying is be a good worker. Work hard. Work at it with all your might. Um, Let the Holy Spirit fill you. You know, think about this. We talk about dinner being a sacred time and a worship experience. Do you think about that with your job? I mean, do you think about your job as a, a way that God has gifted you and open an outlet for you to worship and glorify Him with your work? Let the oil anoint you or the Holy Spirit be on you, but when you walk in the office or walk in to the campus or walk into wherever you work and let God work through you to see what you're capable of. There's just something about having a productive day. I can't, I, I don't know. I mean, when, when, when I can stay away from Facebook and have, get all my checklists done, you know, there's something good about that. You walk out going, yeah, mm, own that checklist today. Productivity just brings something internally where you feel like, yeah. And this isn't just a man thing. This is a human thing. We all work. Some of you moms got jobs that I honestly, I'm not qualified for, and I can't, I don't want. Sorry. Everybody works. Do we see that as a way to glorify and honor God? And then Solomon in that section gives two warnings. The first one he says, uh, work for something and trust in something bigger than you. Because if you put all your hope in you, one of, the, one of the most deadly things that I think we hear as society is just believe in yourself. I think that's a lie the enemy has made so popular. And if we just believe in ourselves, I've got to put my trust in something bigger than me because I'm not that great. Put your trust in something above the sun. Solomon talks about this under the sun, under the sun, under the sun, which means our world. Put something, put your faith and trust in something above this world. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability and eyes to do that. And he's saying, do it. Put your faith in it. The other warning, he says, don't rely on your natural abilities. No matter how talented you are, how gifted you are, your natural abilities will not bring contentment. I was watching the the football game last night, Alabama versus Michigan. And they had this running back, freshman running back, who was phenomenal. And I'm watching that, and that kid is talented. I mean, he's probably going to be drafted. He might even get the draft early. I hope he wants to finish. I'm having this conversation with mine. I hope he finishes school. There's value in school. Don't just go to the NFL because they're offering you a contract. But he's got talent. We're around people every day that are talented, gifted people. And what Solomon's saying is, and it, don't put your faith in that. Because you know, one event can wipe it all away. You can plan and plan and plan, and one event happens, one phone call. I talk to people all the time in our church community whose lives are completely changed by one phone call. 
And that event is not in our control. Put our faith in God, not ourselves. Don't rest in our abilities. We can't do it all. We can't find contentment in our own ability. I, I know people who have great people skills. They have just that natural knack for people skills. They're, and they've honed it so much so that there's people around them all the time. You're like, they just seem, people just seem to flock to this person because they've just got a gifting and ability to communicate and just interact with people. And then I realized after getting to know them, you're the loneliest guy I've ever met. Our natural abilities won't bring contentment. The only way we gain contentment is it's a gift through the Holy Spirit and we learn it. The Apostle Paul said, I've learned to be content. I've learned what it's like to have clothes and have to duck behind the bushes because I'm covering with no clothes. I've learned what it's like to be able to have the, the filet and the chianti and I've had to eat the ham casserole. I've learned contentment. It's a gift that the Holy Spirit gives us and we learn that ability and we have to learn contentment. Otherwise, we'll always be disappointed. We're always working for the next thing, looking for the next thing. We're never here. Does that make sense? We're never here. We're always thinking about when things get better or tomorrow or when I get this paid for or when I can when I can't afford to get the filet and the wine or when I can't afford this or when I can do this. We always think future and we're never present. Look at what that does at the dinner table. When you get around the dinner table with your family and nobody's being present, they're all thinking about what's coming. There's no depth. There's no real conversation happening. Be present in the moment. The last thing Solomon's going to do is tell us a story. And the moral of this story is, is to walk obediently in godly wisdom. Let me read you this story. Verse 13. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. Now, if Solomon, the wisest man, is saying, I saw wisdom and it impressed me, turn on the antennas here. Pay attention because he's getting ready to, to show us something. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Basically what's going on is small city, big army comes in, they surround it, they cut off the supply lines. No food gets in, nothing comes out. They can't get any, any help in, they can't get anybody out that's sick or dying or needs to get out. Basically, they are strangling the city. And so the city is done for. And then Solomon says, Now there lived in that city a man. He was poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, Wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Sometimes the loudest voice and the biggest ideas aren't always right. Be careful who you follow because sometimes people shout to gain followers, but the quiet people who whisper wisdom seem to be in the corner. Just be careful with that. 
Wisdom is better than the weapons of war. I think the, the best example that I can give of this for us in our modern generation, that wisdom is better than the weapons of war. And to walk obediently in godly wisdom will be Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. King understood the scriptures. Dr. King spent time drawing into the character and heart of God. And when God asked him to do something significant, he walked obediently. And wisdom over the weapons of war and godly wisdom over the weapons of war was able to break down strongholds of hundreds of years of ignorance and violence. And there were no fire hoses, no German shepherds. I would even say there's no bullets that could overcome the wisdom that he walked with in that godly wisdom. That's probably the best example that that our generation and our country will see. When God calls us to walk obediently in the wisdom he gives us, it is never insignificant. God does not do anything insignificant. Okay, so if these are simple concepts, why is so much messed up? Why is this so hard? Verse 18, but one sinner destroys much good. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. What Solomon is saying here is sometimes it just takes one fly to make the perfume stink. All it takes is one person to say, forget it. I don't trust that God wants to do something significant through me. I don't trust that I'm, that God wants me to do something significant and I'm going to rely on my own comfort. All it takes is one husband to say, forget it. I'm not going to fight for this marriage. I'm not going to put in the work required. Or one woman to say, I'm not going to forgive. It just takes one. And if that's where you're at, if if that struggle is so hard, let me share with you a verse that really brought me a lot of comfort this week because I've been wrestling a lot spiritually this week. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Just trust. Trust that God wants to do something significant through us. Let that trust begin at the cross so God can do something in us and through us and we live a life that's more significant than we ever imagined. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for the cross. Thank you for your wisdom. And and as you said in James, that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask. So, Father, we ask you for wisdom. But you also said that when we ask, we've got to believe and not doubt. We've got to move forward so we're not tossed around like people in waves of the ocean. So we ask that you help us and direct our path, that we rely on you to live a life of significance. And 
I know sometimes we, we just get beat down. The enemy beats us down. Life beats us down. And we just feel like what we're doing is so mundane, so routine, so insignificant. Father, would you remind us how significant we are? I do thank you for the times that you remind us how insignificant we are too. But remind us that you don't do anything small to to your kids. Would you give us the wisdom to live a life and to pursue a life of significance? Would you help us to slow down and enjoy deep relationships with each other? For those that are married, would you give us the willingness to fight for our marriage and work for a depth of marriage that we have never known? Father, some of us in this room struggle with our job. Would you refresh their eyes so they see it as worship unto you? And Father, would you help us to walk obediently in the wisdom of your word? Don't let us leave this time and just say, that was a good talk. Give us the wisdom to walk it out in obedience because wisdom are greater than the weapons. So Father, we love you and we thank you. We pray that you fill us with your spirit as we walk through life. And we pray that as we leave this time and, and go to the table, that we, maybe for the first time in a long time, slow down. And that we enjoy the good food. We drink deeply of the relationships around us. We celebrate your goodness and we remember the cross of Christ through our meal times. We love you so much. We pray this. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.